Well, good morning, Oakwood, and happy Easter. Welcome, and this is, this is awesome for me because I've always wanted to preach in front of the name of Jesus, and this, is, this was amazing. Great, great time of worship today. I want to begin this morning by reading the passage of what today is all about. So uh, Luke 24, beginning at the very beginning there, it says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of our Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them dazzling in apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. You know, that's where it all began. The resurrection from the grave, that's the reason we celebrate Easter. And not only us right here, but with millions of Christians all around the world because the resurrection is a big deal. I mean, if somebody of this week were to say, hey, we're going to go to some, somebody that passed away this past week, and they're going to actually come back to life. You're going to see someone resurrect from the dead. I think we would all go see that. I mean, I think we would all line up to see something like that because in our minds, it's like that is utterly amazing. That is powerful that someone could overcome death. It's a huge deal. And it's because of Jesus resurrecting from the dead that our hope lives because Jesus lives. It was 23 years ago in 1994 in Chicago, Illinois, that Frank Zindler, a primary spokesman for the American Atheists Incorporated, entered into a public debate with a man by the name of William Craig, a Christian with a PhD in theology. This happened in front of over 8,000 people, and scores of radio stations actually broadcasted this event live. By the end of the debate, it was really no contest. Among those who entered the auditorium that evening as professed atheists, agnostics, or skeptics, and overwhelmingly 82% concluded that the case for Christianity was the most compelling. And a documented 47 people actually became Christians, became Christ followers, and gave their lives to Christ as a direct result of the debate. And by contrast, not one person became an atheist that night. So, maybe you're like me, you're like, well, what was the content of the debate that was so compelling? I mean, what did William Craig say that turned so many people to Christ followers? Well, he simply defended one thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not using the Bible, but using logic and common sense. William Craig helped people see that the only rational conclusion after looking at all of the evidence inside the Bible all of the evidence outside of the Bible and historical records is that Jesus Christ arose from the dead. And Jesus Christ is alive today as live as he was 21 centuries ago. There's a man by the name of Hank Hanegraaff who heads up the Christian Research Institute. And he wrote this. Listen to this. The resurrection is not merely indispensable to the historic Christian faith. It actually elevates Christianity above all other religions in the world. For in the resurrection, Christ demonstrated 
that he does not stand in a line of peers alongside the types of Joseph Smith or Buddha or Confucius or Muhammad. Jesus Christ is completely unique. He alone had the power to not only lay down his life, but also to take it back up again. And because of that, we put our faith in him. Because of that, we can believe in life after death, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you here today, the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead has been resurrecting dead people ever since. Because we are dead in our trespasses and sins without Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Feel free to follow along in the Bible app. If you just want to grab that Bible that's just right there in front of you, uh, those black Bibles, turn it to page 885. You'll be right where we're going to be this morning in Luke 24. And, and here's a little background. We're going to be talking about two individuals who were walking from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. It was about seven miles uh, from Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was the holy city where everything that had happened, you know, Jesus had come in riding on a donkey. Uh, Jesus you know, had been, had been, his trials were there. He'd met with the disciples there. He was crucified. He's risen again. And, and these uh, followers of Jesus, a couple of his disciples, they, that they were, this was Easter afternoon. So it was just a few hours before that they had found out about the empty tomb. And, and it was kind of, you know, a murmur, like a rumor that was going around that they were saying, hey, the tomb is empty. We don't know where Jesus is. And these men were walking away from the holy city and on their way to Emmaus. As we approach them, we kind of figure out that they are kind of down. They're, they're kind of sad, and they don't understand everything that's gone on. You know, this was the week that Jesus was celebrated as he was worshipped as he came in the triumphal entrance into the city of Jerusalem. But later that week, he was betrayed, abandoned, denied, arrested, mocked, scourged, and crucified to death. But as they made their way back home, downcast and defeated, someone joined them walking along the way with them. And thanks to uh, Dr. Luke and our scriptures here, we have the opportunity to overhear the conversation between Jesus and these two men. And in this conversation, we can actually track the progression of their relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we focus on this this morning, I want to encourage you to identify where are you at with your walk with him today? I want you to be able to answer this question this morning. Who is the risen Jesus to you? Who is the risen Jesus to you? Could he be a stranger? Let's, let's read here. Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 13. It says this, That very day two of them were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And they could not believe that, that Jesus didn't know what was going on. But when Jesus walks up on him, he's a stranger. At first, Cleopas and his friend, they do not recognize Jesus. They had no idea when he approached them and he joined them that this was the Messiah walking right there with them. And I wonder if there's maybe some of us that are the same way today. If we were honest, we'd have to say, well, Jesus is a stranger. 
Now, I'm guessing that most of you have probably heard of Jesus before. I mean, you knew the name of Jesus. Maybe you know some stories about Jesus. Maybe you went to church as a kid, or maybe you went to church camp one time. And so you know about Jesus, but you don't really know Jesus. Many today have been kept from recognizing Jesus just as he's been in the Scripture, but for many different reasons. I want to share some of those with you this morning. For some of us, I think it's our family. Maybe the family of origin that we were brought up in. You see, some of us were brought up in families where we were spiritually insulated. Uh, we were brought up in a family uh, that really had no spiritual convictions and, 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 and no, no beliefs. There were no Bibles in our house, no Bible storybooks. Uh, there were no bedtime prayers or prayers at mealtimes. There was no framed you know, Bible verses on the walls in our house. We never listened to any Christian music. We never watched any inspirational videos. We didn't make attending church a priority on the weekend because, you know, really what was the point? Children and youth were not in activities at the church because it wasn't a priority. And some of us, we just came from a family that was spiritually insulated, and that, that's why Jesus is a stranger to us. For others of us, maybe we came from a house where, that was spiritually divided, a family that was spiritually divided where there was uh, one parent that was a, a follower of Christ and a believer in Jesus Christ and was a Christian and the other one wasn't. Maybe they were an atheist or they just uh, had fallen away from the faith. And it was really awkward um, on holidays like this because it's like, well, who do you want to please this morning? You know, maybe dad's staying home and mom's going to church, and you know if you go with mom that it feels like you're not honoring dad, but if you go with dad and stay at home, then, then mom's going to cry because she really wants you to come to church and hear about Jesus. And so you're just you're caught in this conflict because some of us, we came from a divided house. Some of us, our families were spiritually hostile to God. I mean, sometimes the father and the mother, they, they were openly critical of the faith, anything related to the Bible, to Jesus, to the church, or Anything to do with Christianity, it just seemed like we were threatened or sensitive to it for some reason, and they just saw all religious things as something to stay away from. But regardless of the result, Jesus is a stranger. And maybe some of you today can identify with that, that Jesus is a stranger because that's just kind of the way I was brought up. There's really no Jesus in my household. There are other reasons that Jesus could be a stranger this morning. Maybe it's formal education. You know, we went to public school, and they're not teaching history properly. They're not teaching Christianity at all. There's no morals or values. It's do whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want. That, that is the product of the day. I know that there are a lot of people that go to school and tend to lose their faith. There's so many of our higher educational institutions today that are, that are secular. The Bible is, is ridiculed and simply ignored. And Jesus is reduced to being one of many good teachers from history of moral values. The church is marginalized at best. And it is maligned at worst. Some of us, maybe it's because of that education, because of that seeming knowledge that we actually keep Jesus as a stranger in our lives. For some of us, if we're being really honest this morning, it's, it's the wounds that we carry. We had somebody that said they were a Christian, and, and then they hurt us. Maybe, maybe they talked about us behind our back, or maybe they just said something that was really hurtful. Maybe they just didn't act like a Christian, and that witness is something that we carry with us, but it's because of our woundedness that Jesus remains a stranger this morning. To so some of us, maybe it's just worldly distractions. We're really, we're really being honest. We are just distracted by the world. We've become so preoccupied with appearance 
and with daily work schedules and school schedules, and, and we've got too many high-maintenance relationships, we've got this busy social life and social calendar, and we're trying to pay for a car, and we're trying to pay for a house, and we're pursuing money, and we're pursuing a career, and we don't have room for Jesus. And it's these worldly distractions. Some of us decided, well, well th- th- I'm going to pursue uh, something else. And we got distracted. And Jesus is a stranger. We don't pursue him. We don't spend any time with him. We don't seek him through other Christians or the church. Maybe you have not been influenced or encouraged your whole life by anyone to seriously consider Jesus. So he remains a stranger to you. And at first, he was a stranger to the two on the Emmaus Road. But perhaps he's more than a stranger to you this morning. Perhaps you would say this morning that that maybe he's a teacher. Is he a teacher to you? Look what it says in our passage, Luke 24, beginning with verse 25. It says, And he said to them, as they're walking along, he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And verse 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You know, at first it it seemed as though the travelers, as they were getting to know Jesus, Jesus was just a stranger. But then he begins to talk to them and they become informed and they soon discover that this man is a man who knows things. And he immediately becomes their teacher. And what a Bible study that pair had on that day. As Jesus has pointed out all the inadequacies of their understanding. And he taught them the full truth of the scriptures. So I ask you this morning, is is Jesus your teacher? In this world of hype, spin, and distortion. In this world of manipulation, of propaganda, and alternate facts. Where can we go to find real truth. From what or from whom or from where do you derive your perspective on life? Whom do you go to and consult when you're trying to decide what kind of person you should be? What values do you embrace? What are your decisions? What are they based on? And what about your moral standards? What kind of friends are you going to make? What kind of convictions do you have in your heart about marriage and the family? Maybe you go to politicians. Maybe it's movie stars in Hollywood. Maybe it's self-help books. Maybe it's horoscopes or Dear Abby. Maybe you could Google it on the internet and find out. Maybe from television reporters or maybe even Dr. Phil. Maybe some other secular psychologist or social scientist. Or are you going to base all these things on the teacher, Jesus? Because Jesus said that he alone is the way and the truth and the life, and he has all of the answers. And so maybe if he's a stranger today, maybe that next step is that he becomes a teacher. And that would be good if he was your teacher. But there's something that's even better than that. I ask you this morning, do you know him as a friend? Do you know Jesus as a friend? Let's continue in our passage. Look at verses 28 and 29. It says, And so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in, and he stayed with them. You see, Jesus was a stranger, and then he taught them, and then they were just so attracted to him, they were like, stay with us, 
Become our friend. We want to socialize with you. We want to share a meal with you. And here on the road to Emmaus, Cleopas and his friend, well, they make a new friend. It was long before, it wasn't long before that they were treating him as a stranger, and now he's a confidant. And in a short time, Jesus had won their affection and won their trust. And I'm telling you, anyone who will drop his or her guard down and that will walk and talk with Jesus for just a little bit of time, I think you'll find him a friend. You'll find that you have a friend in Jesus and that he is a friend like no other. You know, I'm always amazed at the long list of very perceptive people who set out to undermine faith in Jesus Christ. And in the process of spending time in his life and in his teaching, they instead become Christ followers. <laughs> they become friends of Jesus. They set out to disprove him and, and yet they find him a friend. Lee Strobel is one of those people. Maybe you've heard of him. Lee Strobel was a law graduate from Yale University and an award-winning legal journalist, Pulitzer Prize winner for 13 years with the Chicago Tribune. And Lee Strobel wrote this. Listen to this. These are his words. It was the worst news I could get as an atheist. My agnostic wife told me she had decided to become a Christian. Two words shot through my mind at that moment. The first was an expletive, and the second was divorce. I thought she was going to turn into this self-righteous, holy roller type. But much to my chagrin, over the next few months, I was intrigued by the changes in her character and in her values and the way that she treated me. Finally, I decided to use my journalistic research and legal training to investigate whether there was any credibility to Christianity. I figured I could extricate her from this cult. And so I quickly determined that the alleged resurrection of Jesus was the key to this operation. Anyone can claim to be the Son of God. Anyone. But if Jesus backed up that claim by actually raising from the dead, well, that was indisputable evidence that he was telling the truth about himself. For nearly two years, I explored the minutiae of historical data. I did not accept the New Testament at face value. I was determined only to consider facts that were well-supported in secular history. And as my investigation progressed, my atheism began to implode. One by one, my objections evaporated. I read books by skeptics, but their counter-arguments crumbled under the weight of evidence. No wonder atheists so often come up short in scholarly debates over the resurrection. Because in the end, after I had thoroughly investigated the matter, I reached an unexpected conclusion. And this is what he says. He says, it requires more faith to be an atheist than to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm now celebrating 34, my 34th Easter as a Christian. Not because of wishful thinking. Not because I didn't do the research. Not because of a fear of death and what's going to happen to me when I die, or a need for some psychological crutch to get me through life, but I'm a Christian because of the facts that Jesus rose again. And some of you may know the rest of the story of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel has written over 20 books depending, de defending the Christian faith and has for many years been a pastor at the Woodlands Church in Houston, Texas. It's amazing, isn't it? Jesus, our risen Savior, He desires to have a relationship with each of us. 
And he waits for us to invite him into our lives. Just like those two on the path that day invited him in for a meal. Jesus is waiting on us to invite him into our lives. Now here at Oakwood, we have a tradition. We always close our message time with what we call a time of commitment or a time of decision or an invitation. And we tend to think of invitation like this. That this is an invitation from Jesus for us to follow him. But I think we would do well to also think that it is an invitation from us asking him to come into our hearts and lives for now and for all of eternity. As a friend who sticks closer than a brother, as a friend who loves at all times, as a friend who lays down his life for all of us, Jesus is a friend like no other. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says this. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in. Well, there's another way that you can know him this morning. It is revealed at the conversation between Jesus and the two on the road to Emmaus as they became very close and as they were sharing a meal together. They came to know him that afternoon in the most important way of all. He started as a stranger, then became a teacher, then became a friend. And I want to ask you here, on Easter 2017, do you know him as your Lord? Do you know him as your Lord? Look at verse 30 of Luke 24. This is what it says. When he was at the table with them, remember he went inside the the house and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They knew, this is Jesus. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while, we ta- while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us all of the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered there together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. And he has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them. And the breaking of the bread. Now in a single conversation, their hope that seemed to be lost was now restored. And they had all these D words that they were struggling with. And some of us, we struggle with some of these D words today. Disappointment, doubt, disillusionment, discouragement, depression, defeat, despair, and death. But they were all replaced by one L word, the word Lord. He is the Lord of hope. He is the Lord that loves us. He is not only the Messiah who is the hope of Israel, but He is the hope of every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. Jesus is the hope of every single soul in the whole wide world. And if you get to the end of your life, you want to know the Son of God. And so I want to ask you again, right here on Easter 2017, who is Jesus to you? Who is the risen Savior to you? Is he a stranger? Because that can change today if you want it to. Is he maybe just your teacher? I mean, that's good. It's a step in the right direction, but it's not nearly what he wants to be because he wants to be so much more. Is he a friend? Is he someone that you've accepted and he's accepted you? and You instinctively call on him when you have an emergency and you do that prayer, oh God, please help me in my situation. I mean, those are all great things. But listen, 
You will not have your eyes fully opened, and neither will your heart burn within you until you submit your life to Jesus Christ as Lord. Because here's the bottom line this morning. It matters what you hope in. It matters what you hope in. And let's be honest this morning, okay? We are a people of hope, right? We put our hope in lots of different things. Some of us, if we're being really honest this morning, we put our hope in worldly things. Some of us, we put all of our hope in acquiring so much stuff and so much money. But then we forget at the end of our life it doesn't matter because we don't take any of it with us. But we put our hope that if we just had enough money, life will go good for us. Life will go. Some of us, we put our, our hope in, in maybe sports. And you say, well, how do you do that? Well, we're just going to get so good at our skills in sports that someday we're going to be a, an all-star. And we're going to be in the major leagues or in the NBA or the NFL. And it's going to be awesome. And so we're going to put our hope in our ability to do something like sports. And it's going to be great. And then some of us are like, well, you know, I'm going to put my hope in, in something else. I'm going to put my hope in my career. I'm going to get to the top of the pyramid, and everybody's going to be below me. It's going to be great. And as soon as I acquire this, then it's going to be awesome. We hope in our careers. Some of us hope in relationships with other people. We put our hope in all of these different things. But what really matters is that we only put our hope in one thing. In Jesus. Because let me ask you, how is your career going to be there for you when your marriage is on the rocks? Because you spent so many hours away from your family. Who, who's going to hold you up? Who's going to be the one that you put hope in when your kids don't go the direction you thought they should go? What are you going to hope in when your finances go down and all of your stocks and all of your retirement get taken away? I mean, what are you going to put hope in when you get that diagnosis that nobody wants? Maybe it's, maybe it's the C word or maybe it's some other disease, but you get that diagnosis. You're going to hope in your career then? You're going to hope in your sports career then? You're going to hope in something else? You see, we get caught up in these things. We put hope in all these things except Jesus. And I want our hope to be in Jesus and to be in the power of the cross. Because when it's hard and when you're struggling, you can find hope in the resurrected Jesus. To close our time this morning, I just want to share a story. I, was, I watched a video that came back to me in the last couple weeks that I'd seen like six or seven years ago. Uh, it's a video of Louis Giglio. He's a preacher. He also uh, writes some, some lyrics to some songs. And uh, Louis Giglio was at a conference and he was, he was speaking and he was telling this story. And it was just, just amazing, so I'm going to share it with you uh, this morning. He was at this conference, and he was telling people at the end of a talk that uh, he was going to be doing a new uh, sermon series that was coming up, and it was going to be on creation and life and humans and how it all relates together, God's creation, the human body, how he made us. It just incredibly, the uh, Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, and so he's going into all that. He gets off the stage after his talk, and some guy that he didn't even know uh, came up to him. This guy was a molecular biologist. Is anyone in here a molecular biologist? Because I want to shake your hand. Okay. You went to school way too long. <laughs> way too long. Uh, but this guy that was came up, really smart guy, came up. He's a molecular biologist. He comes up to Louis Giglio, and he says, hey, he said, you said you were talking about the human body, and you were talking about um, of how it all fits together with creation, and, and I'm just wondering, what is your left hook? 
And Louie's like, well, I, I don't know. What do you mean left hook? He goes, come on, man. All preachers got a left hook. You know, it's like that, that story or, or that something at the end of the sermon. He goes, what's your left hook? And he's like, well, I don't really have a left hook. He's like, I have a left hook for you. He goes, it is so awesome. And Louie's like, okay, hey, I'm open to anything. You know, what's the left hook? And he says, the left hook is laminin. He's like, what? He says, yeah, you guys' reaction is the same way. It's like, what? Laminin, not lanolin, like lotion that you put on your baby or your mom's hands. Or, okay, it's not, not lanolin, it's laminin, laminin. And he's like, laminin, okay. He's like, man, that's, you got to tell them about laminin because it, it'll tie it all together. It'll be so awesome. Just tell them about laminin. He's like, laminin. He's like, okay. He goes, yeah. He goes, laminin is this adhesion molecule on the body, and it holds everything together. You know like how they put rebar and cement? This, this laminin molecule holds everything together in your body. And, and I, I just think that it just shows God's power and strength, and you need to tell them about laminin. And Luke, he goes like, okay. And he's like, oh, you need to see laminin. He goes, he goes you need... You need to see it. And so he went and he Googled it. And when he saw it, I mean, Louis Giglio was like, this is awesome, laminin. And I'm watching this video and I'm like getting goosebumps. I get goosebumps even telling the story. I mean, it's awesome. You see this molecule and you're like, oh my goodness, how great is our God? You need to see laminin. Okay, here, here, let's, let's look at what laminin is. That is in every cell in your body, laminin. It's in the shape of a cross. A cellular adhesion molecule that holds all things together. And whether you're a Christ follower or not this morning, this is in you. It's the reason your organs and your joints and everything stays in place is because of that. I just think, how amazing is our God that he would put that in our body? Here, you want to see a real one? This is under a microscope. Check out this picture. This is a real one, laminin. And I want you to get this morning that Jesus is the one we need to put our hope in. That we need to put our hope in the power of the cross. And how cool is it that God puts that in us, in our bodies, from the very beginning. When a baby is born, they're full of the cross, they're full of laminin. I want you to remember this morning to put your hope this Easter in nothing but Him. I know that some of you this morning, you lack hope. You're going through a lot of different things. Maybe it's physical struggles, maybe it's relational struggles. Maybe you just lost, you just feel lost in life. You hate your life. Jesus is the one don't keep him as a stranger. Don't keep him as just your teacher. Don't make him just your friend. Call on him to be the Lord of your life this morning.